Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. And just like that, we're back another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. It's Thursday, guys. It's October 28th, and it is, as always, the year of our Lord 2021. Mailbag, mailbag, mailbag. And even though I tell you, hey, Tuesdays and Thursdays are full Q&A, mailbag, Late Kick Extra, you get the energy. I was listening to the Tuesday pod. We didn't have near enough mailbag in our mailbag. So this morning, my vow to you, we're going to get as many questions packed into this thing as we possibly can. The way you can submit questions, at Late Kick Josh on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh on Instagram. Braves lost last night. I'm in a salty mood. That usually makes for the best content possible. But on the brighter side, as it pours down rain outside my apartment in Nashville this morning, we do have a big weekend coming up. So I don't want to waste any more time. My goal was by a minute in, I'm getting into the first question, and we're at 54 seconds right now. So a lot of you have been asking a question. I am going to let Michael speak for most of you. If you've been following the happenings in Pennsylvania, then this is not a new concept, but yet it is a question that still lingers. Michael says, is James Franklin going to be the Penn State coach next year if you had to guess right now? Michael, my guess is yes. My immediate reaction, yes, I think he's going to be the Penn State coach. I'm not putting it at 100%, not even at 90%, but yes, I do think he'll be there. Now, what Michael's talking about, obviously, is this back and forth that James Franklin has had with the media there in Happy Valley recently because of job opening rumors that always circulate around his name. Uh, One of them is USC, obviously. One of them is LSU. You also heard the news that he switched up his agents to Jimmy Sexton. Jimmy Sexton is about as well known as Colonel Sanders in the South. He's an institution. He represents all the big-time clients down here. You go down the list of fill-in-the-blank. Is he a head coach in the SEC? If the answer is yes, then the other blank is yes, he is probably a Jimmy Sexton client. So people have naturally put two and two together there. Uh, It did surface after that news initially broke that he made that move over the summer. I think James Franklin himself confirmed that. Doesn't mean he didn't make the change. It just didn't happen last week as it initially appeared. So you got that. You got the job openings. You got his name always linked. He's changed his agent. And then came two days ago or yesterday, depending on when you're listening to this, and it was James Franklin talking to the media there. And I'm just going to read you the quote, and then I'll discuss it. He said, I'm fiercely loyal to Penn State. I'm fiercely loyal to these players and to the staff, but there are a lot of moving parts. Now, that's probably the quote you saw out there. It does deserve a little bit more context. And sometimes you have to be able to interpret the unspoken context. The unspoken context here is he is not talking, to me at least, he is not talking about other jobs on the table as much as he's talking about getting what he needs to succeed at Penn State. You may look at it and you may say, I watch Penn State games on football. They got a massive stadium. They look like they have good players. He should be set there. Well, it's a little more complicated than that. Okay, even I sound like James Franklin now when I start to discuss it. There are things you never see, things you will never, ever see unless you're an actual administrator, coach, 
uh, unless you're actually on the inside. Some of it we don't even get to see, but I do get to see a little bit more of it than the normal person does. There are aspects of a program that you'll never even know about. For example, if I were to go to Penn State right now, and then I were to go to an Alabama game the next week, when I was around Bama, I would see a lot more random people whose names I don't know wearing a, a polo with a crimson script A on it and khakis, and they just look, they look like assistants. Well, what they are is analysts. There's an army of them, and they're all there with a specific task, and they're all there to supplement and support whatever their tier leader is. Eventually, you're going to be reporting to a position coach or a coordinator, but they have an army of analysts. Now, I'm not telling you this is specifically what James Franklin's talking about. I'm telling you in the overarching grand scheme of things, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about program infrastructure. He's talking about everything from adequate facilities to the ability to uh, fulfill a bigger salary pool for assistance to be able to have a bigger army of off-field analysts, you would be amazed at how the operation works at these major institutions, at Georgia, at Alabama, uh, at LSU, at Ohio State. You would be shocked at how thorough it is, but also how intricate it is. And you would be amazed at how some of these programs spend the hundreds of millions of dollars that it takes really to have just the baseline kind of facilities they have. And it feels like they've gone eight tenths of the way or nine tenths of the way, but then they'll drag their feet on what comparatively seem like non-issues. You're telling me we built the house and now we're going to haggle over where I, whether I can install the window frames that I want or not. So that's what James Franklin's telling you. To be real, I'm not on the ground there at Penn State. I've spoken to some people that are a lot closer to that than I am, and they spell it out. It's, ba it's the basic stuff we're talking about here. It's just the ability to have every box checked that you think you need checked to compete at the highest level. And it's no coincidence he's playing Ohio State this week, and it's no coincidence that that is the program in the Big Ten, out of all of them, that checks most of those boxes, if not all of those boxes, for their head coach. And James Franklin... If he were to have utter truth serum injected into him right now, and he were talking to you, he'd say, I just want what they have. I don't want to leave here. I'm not looking to leave here. I mean, I like it at Penn State. Love it at Penn State. I believe him, by the way, when he says I'm loyal to Penn State. I believe him when he says he loves it there. I fully believe that. But I also believe that you got to be a realist, and you got to look around and say, if I'm going to be held to the highest standard in the sport, that's okay. And I think he's even okay with that. He probably, like I would be and like you would be if you were there, also wants to have the same standards met on the end of his demands, as maybe a Ryan Day does, as maybe a Nick Saban does. And I don't think that's totally unfair. If it is unfair, then that's where you sit at the negotiating table with the powers that be at Penn State, and they look you in the eye and say, James, we're not going to give you that. Now, when he says there are a lot of moving parts, well, that's where it may come time for him to make a decision. Because I can promise you, theoretically, if LSU were to approach him tomorrow, they would tell him yes on everything he asked for. I can assure you of that. It would not be an issue. In fact, they would pride themselves on saying yes. So he's right. It is complicated, but he also is in a position of leverage. And he finds himself there quite frequently, and he's there again. And so it's good for him to be in that situation. But if you're a Penn State fan, it's ultimately good for you. And I know it doesn't feel that way. But it is ultimately good for you. Now, later tonight on Late Kick Live, I'm probably going to do an extension of this because the follow-up question is, all right, well, even if James Franklin's playing the game that way, 
doesn't he understand that he could really be hurting his recruiting? Because if I were recruiting against Penn State, I'd be in the living room of every major kid, and they got a good class right now, his best class so far on paper. I'd be in the living room of every one of those kids and their parents saying, did you hear what James Franklin said? Our coaching staff, our head coach is not talking like that. We're going to be here regardless. He's telling you there are a lot of moving parts. Hey, what if that means your scholarship down the road? Or what if he signs you and then he's out the door? Yeah, all that's going to happen. And so I'm going to address that later tonight on Late Kick Live unless something crazy happens. So you'll want to tune in for that. Also, you get the replays of all those shows the next morning in this very podcast feed. Jake is up next. Jake uh, leads us down a road of controversy, and the road is going to only get more narrow and more narrow as we get past Halloween and we enter the month of November. So Jake says, if he lists a whole bunch of teams here, basically the usual suspects that are in the top of the playoff discussion, if all those teams, if they run the table, which one of them is going to get left out according to your theory for Cincinnati to make the college football playoff? Good question, Jake. Now, what he's talking about is since the beginning of the season, I have said if Cincinnati goes undefeated, it is my belief they will be in the playoff. I still believe that. If Cincinnati remains undefeated, they will be in the playoffs. So Jake is saying, well, if all of these folks go undefeated, if none of them lose the rest of the way, or there's one other scenario there, but if all of this chalk plays out largely, then which one of them is going to get left out? Because you're telling me Cincinnati is going to be in regardless. So which one of them is going to get left out? This is a very important question because it occurs to me that maybe I haven't been clear in what my stance is. My stance to be, to let me, let me state it if I have not stated it clearly. My stance is, is I believe if Cincinnati goes undefeated, they are going to be in the playoff. Okay? Now, here's what I'm not telling you. It sounds like fence riding, which I sometimes do. This is not fence riding. I am telling you I think Cincinnati is going to be in the playoff. What I'm not telling you and what I wasn't telling you even at the beginning of the year is Cincinnati will be in the playoff regardless of whoever else goes undefeated. The entire premise of me thinking Cincy is going to be free and clear if they go undefeated is the premise that there will not be enough other undefeated teams. There will not be enough of what we normally see at the top, in other words. So let me tell you what I do think. I do think Cincy's going to be in if they go undefeated. But let me also tell you, Jake, if the following were to occur, if Oklahoma remains undefeated, if Ohio State doesn't lose another game, if Alabama goes to Atlanta and they beat Georgia, so each of those teams has one loss, Cincy would be out of the playoff. I fully believe there are routes or routes, depending on what part of the country you're from, where Cincy doesn't make it as an undefeated. So I'm not telling you they'd be in and we'd have to bump undefeated Oklahoma out to fulfill that prophecy. I'm telling you I don't think we're going to get to that point. I'm telling you Caleb Williams at Oklahoma still has to face probably two or three of the toughest defensive coordinators he's faced all year and a Big 12 championship game, and they have been living perilously to begin with. Bama still got to go on the road to the Iron Bowl in an environment probably equal to, if not more hostile, than two of them they've struggled in mightily so far this season, not to mention Auburn going into the bye week was playing their best football. Ohio State and C.J. Stroud look good right now. Look very good. Good teams have lost before. And they still got Penn State. They still got Michigan State. They still got Michigan. They still got a Big Ten championship game. And they've already got one loss on the resume. Remember that. There is a lot to come. I think there is a blatant misconception out there. I can only call it a blatant misconception. That after all of this chaos in September and October, somehow we're going to have this tranquil month of November where everyone cruises like you've entered the eye of the hurricane. Well, the funny thing about the eye of a hurricane is it doesn't last long. 
It doesn't let the whole point of being in the eye. It's not like the storm has passed. The storm is directly over you. So if you feel a little false sense of tranquility right now, it's only because you're in the eye of the hurricane. Well, the back eye wall is coming. There is more chaos coming. Some of these teams are going to lose. For the record, let's just look, since this is probably like only the second or third time I've pulled this list up all year. I'm looking at the AP poll. <laughs> it's always my general reaction to the AP poll. I'm sorry. A lot of good people participate in this, but sometimes good people produce terrible products. That's how we get things like moon pies. Anyway, so I, these are the teams that I believe do control their own fate, even over Cincinnati. Georgia obviously does. Alabama obviously does. Oklahoma obviously does. And I think Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State all do. I think if those teams went out, then they would be in. And if it came down to them or Cincinnati, it would be them over Cincinnati. You also are probably looking at a situation where Ole Miss is in that category. I just don't think a lot of people expect Ole Miss to be able to be there because it's just a little bit of a stretch right now. But if they were in that position, I think Ole Miss is also in over Cincinnati. My point has been, and continues to be, I do not think we are going to have four of those listed teams all there. If at least four of them are there, then yeah, they're in over Cincinnati. I do because I mean, some of them I listed can't be there. Like Michigan and Michigan State can't both be there. Michigan and Ohio State. Michigan State and Ohio State, they can't both be there because they're all about to round robin play each other. Uh, Georgia could be there without Alabama. If Georgia were to beat Alabama in Atlanta, well, Alabama would have two losses. They'd be out of this conversation. So see, even though I listed a small number of teams, the actual amount that hold the keys over Cincinnati is even smaller than the already small list that I laid out for you. So I think Cincinnati's in there, not because they'd be put in over one of those teams, but rather because I don't think enough of quote unquote, those teams are going to be standing in the way this time around. Speaking of Ole Miss, let me go to a next question. Several of you asked this one too. Very, very astute, very astute question here. It basically goes like this. If you claim the JP poll is all about who would be favored over who, and you've got Ole Miss at number four, and you've got Auburn at number nine, then why would you be picking Auburn to beat Ole Miss this weekend? And also, why would your model have Auburn minus five? That makes no sense, does it? Yes, it does make sense. So I'm glad you asked, though. Several of you asked. I've been DMing back and forth with like a dozen of you about this. So yes, you are correct in the premise of the JP poll. The JP poll, to be very clear, not a ranking system at all. I think I've said that a million times this year, and it will still be at least a million more. The JP poll is all about that. So when I have Ole Miss at four, let me pull it up right quick. Ole Miss at four, stalling, stalling. There it is. Uh, so I got Ole Miss at four. That means I would favor them over everyone behind them. Uh, Oklahoma is seven. I would favor them over everyone behind them. On a neutral field tomorrow in a static environment. So understand what we're talking about there. No scheduling dynamic in place, no home field advantage, nothing like that. Well, the reason I mentioned those two categories is because they're both in play against Ole Miss this weekend. So to give you a quick mathematical idea of how this works, I'm looking at our raw power ratings right now, and I've got a numerical grade that I don't show you. Ole Miss at four, Auburn at nine. We separate those teams by a little over four points. So we would favor Ole Miss by four points on a neutral field if both teams were coming off a bye and they played on a neutral field today. 
obviously that's not what's happening this weekend. Right off the bat, I can tell you that we are giving Jordan-Hare Stadium four and a half points of advantage in this particular spot. We do not value home field equal for every team, every game. In this game, based on a number of reasons, we are giving Auburn 4.5 points of home field advantage. That's a massive number. We give home field to a much greater degree in general, but especially this year, we're giving it more so than the average odds maker would or handicapper would. So keep that in mind. So Auburn just adding that 4.5 points, that already puts them over that threshold. So that already puts us as favoring them by a half point relative to JP poll. But then come the scheduling dynamics. Ole Miss has played Alabama, Tennessee, Arkansas, and LSU over the past month. Now you may look at that and say some of those teams are better than others. They all have SEC rosters. They all have SEC beat you up and brutalize you capability. Even LSU does. And they're not good this year. But see, the athletes don't get any less big, fast, and strong. Your training room doesn't look any less crowded the next day when you played LSU just because they may not make a bowl game this year. That's not the way it works. Ole Miss has played those four teams in a row. Now they're going on the road to play Auburn. Auburn's coming off a bye week, and they were playing their best football before the bye week. So then those scheduling dynamics also exclamate home field. So the way we work home field in the model sometimes is if we have a rested home versus a beleaguered road, I just wanted to use the word beleaguered, but the road team, if they're coming off a tough stretch and they're going on the road into what we already value as a hostile environment and they have less tread on their tires than the home team, then we add some more numerical value to home field advantage above and beyond how we would normally determine it there. So when you combine that with the scheduling dynamics, with the typical home field, that's how we go all the way from Ole Miss being favored by four on a neutral against Auburn, all the way across zero, all the way to Auburn minus five. That's what the model spat out for this game this week. That is a nine point difference in what the model thinks would happen if those two teams played in a static environment versus what will happen or what it thinks will happen this Saturday. That's the impact of home field and scheduling dynamics in college football. It is different than the NFL, way different. Uh, that is also why, among other reasons, you don't always see a massive knee-jerk reaction from me just because a team wins a game or just because a team loses a game. There's so much more that goes into it. And that's not even to factor in how turnovers do not serve as the best indicators in future predictability. So anyway, that's how we got to where we are with Ole Miss Auburn this Saturday. But I do get it, before I move on, I do get why that looks hypocritical. The best way I've ever come up to explain it to people is, think about when you're buying a new car, and it gives you the miles per gallon, and it gives you the fuel efficiency and whatnot, well, you've got two different listings there. You've got city and highway. Why is the miles per gallon lower in the city than it is on the highway? Shouldn't it just be the same? If the car is on and it's moving forward, shouldn't it be using the same amount of gas? Well, no, it doesn't. Because when you have start, stop, start, stop in the city versus normal cruise on the highway, it uses fuel differently. When you have two teams that are rested coming off a bye week and they play at a neutral field, which is the best way to measure teams against each other, it's a little bit different than when you've had a month's worth of SEC grind and I'm coming off a bye and you're coming into my building to play me. Those are two different worlds. And let me also give you a sneak peek. Let's just say Auburn were to win 28-23 to Saturday. That would be a five-point Auburn win, right? Well, you would think, okay, that means Auburn's going to bump up, Ole Miss is going to go down. No, if that were to happen then that means the model was dead on the money, which means it would have the least incentive ever to change the value of these teams. We would keep Ole Miss 
the exact amount of points ahead of Auburn as they are right now. Because the model would basically have its own projection reaffirmed. It would be told, you were right, therefore don't change anything. If Ole Miss won the game by three this weekend, but Auburn was minus four turnovers, the model would also be told, you were right, don't drop Auburn. Keep Ole Miss where they are, don't drop Auburn. Because we don't weigh turnovers and outcomes based on turnovers in any kind of predictability model. On a related note, that's how Nebraska, with a sub-500 record, is sitting at 25. I've actually got them power rated ahead of Wake. I would pick Nebraska on a neutral field tomorrow against Wake Forest. And what's funny to watch is I know some of you have been trained in clickbait, and you think that's just clickbait, and oh, he's just trying to get attention. Yeah, uh, no. Now, if you know anything about me, you already know, no. If you don't know anything about me, First off, what you need to know about the media industry is clickbait stopped working as a strategy about five or six years ago in the digital media industry when all the digital tech giants disproportionately flipped their algorithms to valuing watch time and audience retention over click-through because they realized people were jipping you and therefore jipping the ad dollars that were being pumped into those machines by clickbait. So first off, please understand that. Clickbait is not a sustainable revenue model anymore. It really never was sustainable, but it's especially not now. It's stupid to participate in and partake in. So that's number one. Number two, no one's making a dime when you click on something on Twitter. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that's where I put this out. That's where we put the stuff out. It's we, we put it on the social channels. We don't even put it on the web where theoretically you would make the money by generating the clicks. So that's point two. Point three is Vegas agrees. That's my main point. Odds makers would agree with this. Now, they may not have Nebraska rated exactly where I do. They, there may even be one or two out there that would have Wake Forest like a point or two above. But my point is, Wake Forest is undefeated. Nebraska is sub-500. Yet, I'm telling you, that matters so little relative to who would be favored against who tomorrow that every book out there, if they were to play that game, if Nebraska and Wake Forest met in a bowl game tomorrow or next week, you would see that line, and I think you would be stunned. And you'd be stunned to find out, wow, that JP poll wasn't so clickbaitish after all. He was actually right. It was actually right. And if it was wrong, it was wrong by like one or two points. Wake Forest would not be some touchdown or 10-point favorite over Nebraska just because they're undefeated. No one cares. No one cares. In the merit-based world, in the ranking world, in the playoff committee world, absolutely. In the bowl selection process world, absolutely. I believe in that too. Don't misunderstand me. Record means a whole lot. It's what you use to earn your way to certain things. It's why I always try and distinguish. A power rating has nothing to do with that. It's just as sure as I say that, I'll put out a power rating and I'll have an undefeated team behind a several loss team and someone will come in the comments and ask, well, why do we even play the games? Well, you play them to win them, Herm Edwards. You play them to win the games. And you win the games so you can hopefully get a really big prize at the end of the year. Well, how can you say that and have that team ranked above them? I don't, sir. I don't have anyone ranked anywhere. I'm looking at it right here. No, you're looking at a power rating. Rating, rating, not ranking. I even put it right there in the description. That thing you clicked on that I baited you into, apparently, you should have read it. I don't know what else to tell you. I'm doing the shruggy emoji in the microphone as I speak. You should have read it. See, this is why I need a podcast producer. I need someone on the other side of the hypothetical glass here that doesn't really exist because I'm talking into a blanket, but I need someone to look at me and just do the, ah, let's, let's cut it out, let's cut it out, or let's move on. Let's, someone needs to point to the wrist. Let's just move it on. Let's just roll it on. Otherwise, that's what happens. I mean, I don't even know how we got there. I do know this. We owe our fine partners an ad break, and we'll do it right now, but I got more coming back. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So we bring it back in here with Adam. Adam's got a question that's only going to be more and more popular and asked more and more as we, again, get into November. And that is, who would your favorite be in the Heisman right now? I hate to rain on this question, but most of you know what I'm about to say. I don't particularly get into the Heisman. Last year I did, only because we adopted Devontae Smith essentially as like a son of the show. So we were promoting him nonstop. So I was really into the Heisman last year. Uh, But I'm typically not into the Heisman. That's no knock on the Heisman. I have a lot of respect for that trophy and for most, if not all, of the folks who have won that trophy. I've just never been crazy about the selection process. I've never been crazy about the voting process. And when things like a Heisman moment are valued more than the entire body of work of your season, it doesn't really carry a whole lot of weight with me. But that's just me. That's my personal preference. I know most of you do care about it. But since I was asked by Adam, who do I think would be leading right now? I don't have an answer for you, only because I look at this the same exact way as people are talking about Georgia's defense right now. Georgia's defense is being talked about as historic. Is it the greatest of all time? Well, you can't answer it. Just like you can't answer who the Heisman favorite is right now, I guess in an odds-making sense you could, but I personally would not have a favorite. Just like I personally would have no opinion on whether Georgia's defense is the greatest of all time. You're judging greatest of all time against teams that have played complete seasons. Georgia hasn't played a complete season. Not only do you run the risk of injury down the stretch that could fundamentally alter the makeup of your defense. Of course, you don't ever hope that happens, but it could happen. It has happened to those other teams. But secondly, they haven't played the best teams that they'll play. That's not a knock on Georgia. That's just saying data is incomplete. Well, with the Heisman, data is incomplete. Right now, we don't have a clear favorite, which I think would be fun. I don't know, like I said last week, why people aren't more into it. If I were a Heisman guy, if I were really excited by it, I'd love that way more than watching Lamar Jackson just pull away with the award or watching uh, someone like Joe Burrow pull away with the award. Great players. I like watching the players. But as far as the race comes, that seems boring to me. But I don't know. I'm Maybe maybe I don't get the Heisman. Maybe I just don't understand it. But, I mean, if you ask me, Matt Corral, what do we have? Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Kenneth Walker has got a big chance with Michigan State this weekend. And there are other names. I'm not making an exhaustive list. Don't all those guys have their biggest moments still to come? There are some who believe Caleb Williams should be in this conversation. Now, since I'm not a Heisman guy, I'll abstain from definitively stating whether he should or shouldn't. It makes no sense to me for a guy who came in, what, a third to a quarter of the way through the season to just rocket his way right up to the top. But like I said, maybe I don't get the Heisman. But my point is, all of these players, you can throw Williams in there too if you want to, all these players have their biggest game still to come. All these players have their biggest stretch 
still in front of them. So how can you know anything about the Heisman? So I sound a little more aggravated than I am. I'm really not aggravated at all by it. I just always, I find myself, I don't know if you guys feel this way or not. I find myself perplexed, probably the first time I've used that word on the pod this year. I find myself perplexed at how wrapped up people get in these conversations that are going to sort themselves out in December and they allow themselves to get wrapped up in it in October. Look around. There are actual games, actual football games this Saturday that require all of my attention. I'm totally invested in the games that are going to happen on the field. Unless I had money on it, which I don't, I couldn't care less, to be honest with you, about where the Heisman is right now. It'll, it'll come when it comes. I mean, it'll happen when it happens. And if a, a leader emerges, you won't have to ask. You'll know. You'll watch the odds move first off, but you won't need an odds board. Your eyeballs will tell you, yep, that guy, C.J. Stroud, I mean, he just beat, he just beat Penn State 56-13. Uh, to 13. I think if that were to happen and he were to throw for six touchdowns and run for another one, yeah, I think it would be pretty clear. Oh, C.J. Stroud just made his mark. I think he's the leader in the clubhouse now. But until it happens... Just pay attention to the games. Just follow the games. The games will never lie to you. Neither will Brandon. That's why he's getting his question answered next. Brandon, been hearing your name a lot lately, buddy. Uh, He says, out of curiosity for the Late Kick Extra Pod, what do your Saturdays consist of pregame at each venue? I hear you mention how you meet plenty of fans. So do you set up a media site? Or is that more just you casually walking around before pregame festivities? Pretty good question. I guess I haven't been clear on this either. We don't have a pregame media site. Uh, let's bookmark that. I'm about to come back to that in a second because that could change. But no, there is no pregame media site. Most of the time, what it is, is I have gotten in town the day before. I'll meet a ton of people at airports. I'll meet uh, people, obviously, in hotel lobbies and things of that nature. But also, like you just said, walking. I mean, I was at Bryant-Denny Stadium last week. So we park in the media parking garage. And just the walk from your parking place uh, through the quad, uh, kind of, and then up the Walk of Champions, probably... I don't know, anywhere between five to 10 people just in that walk alone. I met, shook hands with, talked, but then I'm on the field for games. So you're walking around the sidelines. And of course, you've got a lot of people that just say, hey, can I take a picture? Hey, shake the hand. Hey, like the show, love the show. All of which I appreciate, by the way. And that's how normally the interaction happens. Now let's go back to the bookmark and let's talk about what could happen. As you know, Brandon and anyone else who listens to the pod, as you know, what we've done this year is we have labeled the entire season just a renaissance season, and I think it's delivered so far. I think you've seen home field come back in a big way. I think you've seen a lot more upsets. I think you've seen a lot more volatility, and so we've got that. Like We got the kind of season to this point that we thought we were going to get, and since I'm in a game every week, we've just labeled it the renaissance tour, but as you have noticed, it's kind of undefined. It's kind of unofficial. I mean, really what's happening is I myself am going to whichever game I choose to go to every week. But we don't have big events, do we? Well, as I was talking with one of our executives about earlier in the summer, before the season even started, he asked me, what is the Renaissance Tour? Like, explain this concept to me. And I said, I can't explain it to you. The audience, the listeners, the viewers, the fans, they're going to explain it to you. He said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, we're going to see what kind of reaction it gets, and then we're going to take it from there, which is the way that I build every show. We build it based on what you want via either your direct comments or your viewership trends and habits. If you're watching something 30% less in average retention than something else, I'm not going to do that thing that you were telling me you like less as much as I do the thing you're telling me you're going to like more. 
So if we were to go on the road and we were to get no interaction with anyone and we were to get no feedback on it, we'd probably scrap it. I'd still go to games, but we would probably scrap it. Well, the opposite has happened. We've gotten great reaction. In fact, every single week, Brandon, someone asks me, in fact, several, several, several people ask a version of what you just asked. What else is there? What, what kind of event can I go to? Are you guys doing anything on Friday night or Saturday night? What are you guys doing? So here's what I'm thinking. What I'm thinking is we are growing a concept. We're growing a product, the Renaissance Tour. It, obviously, it's got a different name for a different year, but let's say this time next year, or maybe we don't wait until next year. Maybe we circle, let's say, SEC Championship Weekend in Atlanta. Since we know that's where it's going to be, we know we're going to be there a solid month ahead of time. Let's just say we circled that weekend. Well, what if that Friday we were to have kind of a listener and viewer only exclusive Q&A event, but it's in person. Let's just throw that concept out there. I'll tell you what, I'll throw the concept out there. A lot of you are in the South. A lot of you would be in Atlanta for that game. Let's just see how it goes. If you don't want it, we won't do it. If you do want it, we will do it. Obviously, we need a little lead time, so we'd have to set it up, but just tell me what you think about that because what I could see in the future, Brandon, to get back to your question, is I could see that being the norm. I could see the norm for, let's say, this time next year of me getting into town early on Friday and us having a venue selected where everyone who listens to and watches the show in that particular market comes and, you know, you probably have dinner there. We have some interaction. We probably do something off the record. It's not recorded. It's this kind of format, but we can be a little more open with it. Put your cell phones away, that sort of deal. So I could see that. But also, Brandon, uh, to go back to the second part of your question, which is what is the game day routine? I'm doing a lot of work on CBS Sports HQ at these games. So, for instance, Saturday morning at Michigan, Michigan State, little inside baseball for you here. We've actually had to adjust our routine. So I've been back and forth with Michigan State all week. They've been great. I mean, they have been great to us. They've bent over backwards to accommodate us, actually. And it's a chore for them this week because they've got both Fox and ESPN pregame shows in town. And as I told you the other night on the show, they've got both of those that are going to be on the sideline the last hour leading up to kickoff. It, the sideline before kickoff at a major game is a complete and total fiasco. It's ridiculous. You got recruits down there. You got donors down there. Uh, you got just random people who I don't know what their purpose is down there. Then you got media down there. But now you've got two pregame shows down there. Oh, by the way, you got teams on the field warming up. So what I'll be doing is we'll get over there really early. I'll be in the stadium really early. I'll be doing live hits with it may be Hakeem Dermish or it may be someone else in there. I don't know how early Hakeem wakes up, but I'll be doing live hits, uh, live talkbacks, as they call them, back and forth with the folks at CBS Sports HQ. They're down in Fort Lauderdale. I'll be in East Lansing. And so that's what's happening before the game. I do the same thing after the game. And then on this particular weekend, I'll head straight to the airport and get back here in Nashville Saturday night. I'll be here before the games wrap up that day. Uh, but every week is unique. And so this one in particular, since it's a noon kickoff, and we got to be in the stadium. We got to do those live hits 90 minutes ahead of kickoff instead of our usual 60 minutes ahead of kickoff. And then we got to be able to clear out so that the other folks can come in. What I'm telling you is we have to get out of the way so game day can bring their set indoors. And I guess the entire success or failure of college game day this Saturday, wouldn't you know it, rests on the shoulders of us getting our stuff out of the way. I hope we get out of the way in time. We have had such a cordial relationship this year with College Game Day. I got to get out of here because we have got stuff to do. I got to go do a hit with Wilt Fong. Got to do Wilt Fong whip around in just a second. So thank you so much. This podcast has taken off. Our numbers are great. Please continue to give five-star reviews. We are approaching 2,000. I see no reason why we can't fly past it before the end of the year. 
or maybe the end of the week. So let's get those five-star reviews rolling in. It really, really, really helps us out big time. And the one more thing I would ask you to do, make sure you're following at Late Kick Josh on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh on Instagram. These sorts of things are free for you and they keep the show free for you. And that's what we all want. Last thing I want to be doing is having any kind of corporate executive come in and say, ah, we're overruling you. We're charging for the show now. Well, I'd throw up the deuces, but let's not get to that point. So like, subscribe, do all those important things, five-star reviews. And most importantly, thank you for listening to begin with. So for Producer Jordan, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great rest of your day and God bless. Bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.